Let's go ahead and start with prayer, and then we'll jump in. Well, Heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, for our present, and fill us all things, strive your blessings, and give our life. Come and abide in us, and cleanse us from every impurity, and save our souls a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So last week, we started going through uh, the Divine Liturgy, and I don't want to spend a huge amount of time. Like I told you, uh, it is actually... I did a whole series just on the Divine Liturgy, and I think it's like 12 or 13 classes, uh, just kind of slowly walking through it and talking about the theology there, and kind of, like the first two or three are just doing like Old Testament background, and trying, just using blessings of the Kingdom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Psalms, the Antiphons, and just kind of like, this is how, where, how do we get here, and just kind of doing a background uh which I gave you a really simplified version of that last week, and I think like two minutes. Because <laughs> it really is, it's, you know, it's Genesis, right? The patriarchs, Moses, uh, David, the kingdom, the prophets. That's the general, if you know Old Testament history. Um, if, yes? Where could we find the 12 to 13 session class? Somebody emailed me who's not in the class. Apparently they were listening, which was nice. Uh, they, so I had to go look for it. Mm. It's back like two or three years ago. I think it was before COVID is when I did it. Okay. And I believe it is in uh, the in heaven and on earth, the, the main one that has all the homilies and things on it. Uh, that's not the catechism one. Uh, one of the things I find hard about, hard about podcasts, I don't know about you all, but being able to, you'd have to go back like yeah. Right yeah. to go back to 2019 or something in order you have because a search feature? yeah you might be able to uh, if you just I think it's just I can look I think it's just introduction to divine liturgy like two <laughs> introduction to divine liturgy three it's not that descriptive of a title uh, the challenge is is sometimes the homilies were divine liturgy like four ten twenty twenty or something like that so. You should be able to, and it's, it goes back. I'm thinking about, because I can just go into the thing and download them, and then just put them as a separate thing. Uh, do you all prefer podcast, or do you prefer, I mean, some people are on YouTube, like, all the time. I don't pref- I really don't like YouTube that much, probably because I only got unlimited data, like, in the past few months, <laughs> and trying to listen to something on YouTube was impossible if you didn't have unlimited data, Well, you had to be in your home, and I don't... I listen the most when I'm either cooking or driving, so I might just download all, uh, ask Deacon just download all the audio and just upload it as a p- playlist on a St. Anne's mm-hmm. YouTube thing somewhere, uh, because I find podcasts, I don't want to make 15 podcast venues where it'd be easier to access, I don't know, anyways, I think you know what I'm talking <laughs> about, it just gets a little, not as easy to follow up, so that that's where it Does is. Does St. Anne's have a podcast, or is this like mm-hmm. your... It's St. Anne's. Okay. So if you go on there, like okay. Father Anne's Stevens website. talk and then when he, the homily that he gave when I wasn't here, yes. when I do Wednesday night stuff, right. this class is only on the catechism one. Uh, but I've done other things. I think that's also, I live streamed for a while going through St. Innocent's Indication of the Way to Heaven. And that was live streamed and audio recorded. And I think that is all on there as well. There are some Bible studies that we did. Like if you are struggling with Romans, like last group of catechumens there were some folks who came from a reformed background and so romans was like a big deal for them 
how do I read this differently? So one of the things I suggested is we went slowly <laughs> through Romans during COVID and Zoom <coughs> and down, like recorded all the things, and we just used Chrysostom to just kind of, this is how a fourth century saint reads this, and he doesn't read it like a 16th century reformer at all. He just doesn't see that stuff. He doesn't have those questions. He doesn't see those metaphors meaning those things. Uh, so there are there's a there's like a bio if you go on St. Anne's website I think and you scroll down I think it has my my every thought captive is the one that ancient faith like produces and stuff that's like my that I have people on like interview and stuff but that's not St. Anne's um, my wife and I had the experience of listening to last last Sunday's class just a small suggestion the bagging oh. the bashing is very very oh this is really audible. sensitive yeah let's do this <laughs> it, what, maybe it sounded like banging but yeah banging. i know every time someone like puts their hand it's probably me because sometimes i think that is very loud compared to some recordings you have to like i know i'm driving the car and my volume is like as high as it possibly yeah. can go because the recording isn't very good yeah i think that is pretty decent for volume it's pretty good yeah, yeah. okay mm-hmm. it picks up a lot <laughs> for better or for worse <laughs> um any other questions before we dive in here we had gotten through the first part of the liturgy which we called the liturgy of the word we're at the anaphora basically so the anaphora this is the. This is on page forty-three. If you're looking in here, and you'll notice there will be pages missing because I cut stuff out of it. The anaphora is the offering up, the offering back. That's what the word anaphora means. It's offering back, uh, like Anna and Anastasis uh, or Anastasia, or these were like for standing up again is what the Greek means for resurrection. So anaphora is offering back. Uh, this is where uh, I believe I did the, the private prayer. No, the, the, no, I did the private prayer at the Trubic Hymn is probably what you're thinking about, where, I'm talk, where the priest prays for Christ who is the offerer and the offered, the one who accepts and is also the one who gives, right? He gives us what we give. Uh, and so the anaphora is uh, the beginning of the prayers of thanksgiving for what God has done for us, specifically in Jesus Christ. So one of the things, uh, the questions I asked was like a trick question is, who is this directed to, this prayer? I think that was where we, towards the end, right? And that this prayer is all directed to the Father. Because it's the Father who uh, is receiving the sacrifice of Christ, the one who is receiving the adoration and worship of Christ. Uh, and it is Christ, this is very Pauline. Um, if you read Paul, being adopted into the family of God is what Jesus Christ does for us, right? He's our elder brother in the way that Hebrews talks. Uh, Jesus Christ gives us access to the family. In the ancient world, the home that, you know, the paterfamilias, right? You ever seen, what's that movie? Oh, Brother Oh, Brother Arthur, the paterfamilias, like <laughs> the hierarchy, I would say the hierarch, but actually the, the patriarch of the family, right? You, you don't have any rights in that family unless you were actually inducted into the home. This is why Paul talks this way in many places. 
Jesus, by taking on our nature, by doing what we weren't able to do, he allows us, he adopts us into the family so that we are given his spirit, that we are able to stand. This is why at the end of uh, the anaphora uh, section, we then say, uh, there's a litany, and we, that's when we do the Our Fathers. After we've done all of the thanksgiving, we then have boldness that we can be able to stand before God the Father because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us to be able to say, Our Father, right? So the anaphora itself uh, is, uh, if you were to go, are any of you very familiar with the Roman Mass? You can tell the difference. I went to a low Latin Mass a while back, uh, and it was on like a Tuesday or something because uh, I have become friends with the, the priest it is it's very interesting the differences and the similarities because there's a lot of similarities the ancient liturgy east and west like when I come out uh, at the very beginning of this let us stand right let us stand with fear the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the Holy Spirit let us lift up our hearts that is, in Lutheran church, you can hear that, because the core of the ancient liturgy, this, this ascending of our hearts, that we put our minds and our hearts in the heavenly places, is throughout the Mediterranean. Like, almost all the ancient liturgies have it. But then the, the emphasis of this prayer, and let's just, uh, I'll read it out loud, out loud here at 43, the priest. It is meet and right to sing to thee, to bless thee, to praise thee, to give thanks to thee, to worship thee in every place of thy dominion. Why is it right to sing, to bless, to praise, to give thanks, and to worship everywhere uh, in God's control kingdom? It's because God is ineffable, inconceivable, invisible, incomprehensible, ever existing eternally the same. He is. <laughs> he is. <laughs> you are the one. <laughs> Uh, and your only begotten Son and Holy Spirit. It was you who brought us from non-existence into being. When we had fallen away, you raised us up again, and did not cease to do all things until you had brought us up to heaven. This is one of the uh, aspects of the Orthodox Church, and this is kind of a short for all that Jesus did, right? But it's not just what Jesus did. If we remember the, the anaphora from Lent, Basil's <coughs> anaphora, which I can give you a copy of that. I've used that in the past to teach catechism about what we believe about redemption. God gave uh, the law. He gave the prophets. He gave angels. He, he gave all of these things for our salvation, but it's ultimately Jesus Christ that he did, every, himself did everything in bringing, being able to bring us back up into heaven, right? It's that motion of God coming down into the world that had gone away into non-existence and that, that, that icon of the resurrection, right? Where Christ is literally pulling up Adam and Eve out of death and bringing them back up into life. This is, we're giving thanks for everything that he's done for us. Uh, and we give thanks not just to the Father, but then we also say the Son and the Holy Spirit because it was not just the Father... In some ways, we can talk about this like the Father had the idea, Christ uh, executed the plan, and the Holy Spirit kind of brought it to perfection, right? That's kind of a way of talking about it. I'll be careful about all these ways of talking about it because you can overdo those metaphors and make them do too much than what it's trying to do. But they are always in concert with one another. The Father is always going to be acting through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is how God acts. 
right? It's not God the Father does something, the Holy, the, the Son decides He's going to do it too. They're in one unity and will and power, authority, co-reigning, co-eternal. All of those words that we were just talking about uh, apply to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, ever existing, eternally the same. So we give thanks to him for all that he's done for us, for all the things that we know and which we know not, whether manifest or unseen. This is that kind of baseline of faith that even if we don't know everything, we're still giving thanks for all the things that he's done for us, the things that we don't even realize that he's done for us, and that we're thankful that we're able to come and serve this liturgy, that you have found it worthy at our hands uh, to accept this gift, even though he stands amongst all the angels, right? So this is the basic movement of the anaphora, is this thanksgiving for everything that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, all the things that he's done in preparing the way for Jesus to come into the world, all the things after that. Uh, and the reason I brought up earlier the, the Roman masses. You, the language of the Roman Mass is very focused on, and I was kind of surprised. I've read this, but it's one thing to read it, and it's another thing to just kind of experience it. Uh, as I was just standing in the back, just kind of watching things, because I can't actually participate, obviously. Um, there is very much this focus on what Jesus did and paying, like the penalty. Like, it was just... It was just I was amazed. I was kind of blown away at the focus and everything. It's very much the bloody sacrifice of Christ to appease the Father. That really was a lot of the core of Mass. And that's not necessarily wrong, per se. It's very interesting how different, like, that's not what we come together and say every single Sunday morning. We come together and kind of the whole thing is what we're giving thanks for. Um, and after Vatican II, they took out so much of the service, you can actually see scripts where they've blocked out stuff. They just totally did it. They also started, pre-started, like, doing their own anaphoras. You're never going to hear me oh, really? doing my, you're never going to hear me ad-libbing and making up my own off prayer offerings, etc. Uh, so this is, uh, you can see this basic pattern of thanksgiving for what Christ has done for us, where he is seated, right? This the whole focus of the liturgy is this kind of ascent into the heavenly places, where Christ is enthroned with the Father and the Spirit, surrounded by the angels, and that we are now in the presence of Christ. So then, this goes to the next section on page forty-five. If you turn the page, well, sorry, I should at least say the the hymnody that is sung out by the choir is the angelic hymn, right? Holy, 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 Lord of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So the priest continues, with these blessed powers of Master who loves mankind, we also cry aloud and say, Holy art thou in thine only begotten Son and thy Holy Spirit. Holy art thou in all holy and magnificent is thy glory. For so love the world to give thine only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Who we in full come and fulfilled all the dispensation for us the night in which he was given up but rather gave himself up for the life of the world, took bread in his holy, pure, and blameless hands, when he given thanks and blessed it and hallowed it and broke it, he gave it to his holy disciples and apostles, saying, and we have what you might have heard of the words of institution. We have, in giving thanks for everything that's been done in Jesus Christ, we then go to the core of the gospel, that those who have believed in Jesus Christ, that he offers eternal life, uh, and that then we get... It's very, Chrysostom is very short and succinct. Basil is, kind of gives us all of the salvation history, everything, and a little bit more, 
And Chrysostom is like, we need to be thankful for everything that God has done and everything that Jesus Christ has done, and then we're going to get right to the core of uh, what that is and how we participate in that. We participate in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through the reception of Holy Communion, partaking of his broken body and spilt blood. Every time. <laughs> yeah. I've always wondered why is it Sabbath? I, I already got oh, it. Okay. Why Lord, is it Sabbath oath. Sabbath oath um, and is that synonymous? Is that the same thing as Sabbath? No, it means okay. hosts. So I had to go back in my head okay. a minute. <laughs> some, some, some say Lord God of hosts in, in like other, other versions. Basically, like the phalanxes or the, you know, the, the huge armies of, uh, of angels, like Joshua's encounter. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me how that phrase, Lord of, of Sabbath, I mean, it might seem like a small detail, but I mean, the whole podcast is being made off of that single sentence, mm-hmm. uh, which is Lord, 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 Lord of Spirits, uh, trying to re- uh, rediscover that whole dimension of the spiritual beings in the hierarchy in the heavens. I mean, this is one of the, what's beautiful about the liturgy is it has everything, but you have to pay attention and it's very easy to kind of just gloss and like that's some churchy words but like if you were just blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord I mean where does that come from do y'all remember where that comes from King David it comes from the Psalms Mm -hmm. there's a famous at least in the gospel there's a part King David what are you meaning on King David now it's more like thinking about his song maybe that he wrote or connected to him so uh-huh. like the coming of the king Palm Sunday blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord right there is the crying out that he's come that the, the Messiah has come so there's like the historical right there's, if you go back to last fall I actually went slowly through the anaphora through a series of homilies I forgot about that <laughs> so if you go back I don't remember the dates because I don't. They're, they're, the titles aren't given. I think it's just dates. But uh, if you find one of them, you can. It's all going to be like Sundays back to back. I just stuck with the text. Um, we are saying uh, there's that historical element, right? There's David writing it, looking forward to blessed who comes in the name of the Lord. Then there is Jesus entering into Palm Sunday. I think that was lightning. <laughs> uh, and then we are singing this now, and because we're ushering in the Lord coming to be with us in communion, right? So we're saying, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord because he's coming. And we're going to say, as we're going to get to in a minute, uh, there we go. Uh, well, that little bit where we're like, there's the historical element of like the, the prophecy. Then there's the reality of Christ coming in the flesh. And then there's this element where we're saying he's coming to be with us again, which is what's going on when we say, we come and fulfilled all the dispensation for us or the economy of salvation, right? What God had ordained to happen. And the night in which he was given up, or rather, this kind of move to, or rather gave himself up for the life of the world. Paul does this a lot. He'll say something, and then he'll say it from a different point of view that's still saying the same thing. So, like, historically, he was given up, right? He was betrayed. Uh, he was... Um, arrested, and then he was uh, killed, right? He was sacrificed. If you're looking at it from, like, human agency, this is what's going on. But if you were to look at it from God's agency, what God was doing, it means he, this is all through our hymnody, he voluntarily gave himself up for us. 
who knew, right? Like, if he only knew who was speaking to you, right? <laughs> like, uh, what is truth? And just, there he is, right? So there is, uh, in the uh, Eucharist, we are, time is all interwoven together, past, present, and future. So that when we are calling down the Holy Spirit, oh, sorry, when we are remembering, right, we have this uh, remembrance of take, eat, and this is me, you know, putting out my hand, this is my body, right? Obviously, there's, he did that the night, which he's do. you know, this is my body. And then we continue this where we are calling down the uh, resurrected body and blood of Christ that has died on the cross, that has now ascended that flesh that sits at the right hand of God the Father in its resurrected uh, transfigured state is now being called down uh, to for us to partake of. So we are moving into that night, that night of sacrifice and offering up that Christ does in his body that's broken for us, that his blood that is shed for us for the mission of sins. And this, uh, where the priest then, as the deacon is raising up the chalice and the discos, the priest says, remembering the saving commandment, the saving commandment being that Christ said, you know, remember me and this uh, bread and this cup. Uh, all those things would have come to pass for us, right? The cross, the tomb, the resurrection on the third day, the ascension into heaven, the sitting at the right hand, the second and glorious coming. Have all of those things come to pass? Are those all historical things? What's the thing that's not historical? The glorious second coming, right? So we are remembering things that ha have happened for us, that are living realities for us, but we're also remembering a reality that hasn't happened yet because it's going to happen. Because, well, in a sense, we're not just out of time, as in we like run out of time, but like we stand in the eternal when we, when we stand at the altar. So we are remembering everything that Christ has done for us and everything Christ does for us and everything Christ will do for us. Yeah. I mean, earlier in the Anaphora, you might have already touched on this, but, um, and did not cease to do all things until thou hast brought us up to heaven and endowed us with the kingdom which is to come. I mean, it, that, that, that phrasing of, would, would make no sense just looking at this in the present that had, we're, we're thanking you for endowing us the kingdom that is not yet here which is just um, that, that's, that blows me away every time I hear that mm -hmm. um, well this is the thing if you grew up in a lot of churches they're a little confused about what the kingdom of heaven is or what that we participate in the fullness of the end of things now we're not just waiting for everything to be okay at the end, but we participate because he's here and present with us. He didn't just leave us. Uh, he is not present with us in the way that he's like me sitting here. He's mediated to us through the sacraments, through the Holy Spirit, uh, but he is present. He still governs the church. He is still the head of the church. He is still the king of things. Yes. It makes me think of this formula that uh, many Protestant theologians use. I'm not a big fan of this formula anymore. I used to love it. They say we live in this tension of the already but not yet. Yes. Yeah, I think that, that is basically we live in the kingdom. Jesus is the kingdom. 
the fathers, there are certain renditions of the Our Father uh, that use the Holy Spirit as thy kingdom come. It's like the Spirit come. Because that is showing that we are in his dominion, that we are under his authority with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Because that's what he did in ascending and sending the Holy Spirit so that we can basically live like Christ lived and lives. So we could keep going on with the anaphora. I just kind of want to hit some of these high points that the liturgy is the summit of everything. It is the summary of what we believe. It is how we enact what we believe by partake, uh, partaking of the body and blood of Christ. Uh, because when we call down, at least need to hit the... Uh, sorry. When we uh, offer thine own or thine own, and then we do the prayer, the epiclesis, which is basically the calling down the Holy Spirit to transform the, the body and bread. This is 47. Uh, we say the priest at the very top of 47. Again, we often do this r rational and bloodless sacrifice of the worship and ask thee and pray thee and supplicate thee. Send down the Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts here offered. The, when we are calling down the Holy Spirit, we are not asking... There's a way in which we can struggle with Holy Communion as if it is this kind of like holy token type thing or like um, something that is... Uh, it is the medicine of immortality. It is uh, antidote for our sins. It is the, for the forgiveness and the healing of soul and body. But it's something that is not like magic that is done to us. Right? The Holy Spirit falls upon us and upon these gifts here. Because you can receive unworthily. And it can actually be the way that Paul talks about. I don't know if you're all familiar in First Corinthians how Paul talks, right? Like, you eat and drink damnation. So there is a need to discern the body to understand, and that is a corporate thing, because Paul is talking about like the divisions in the body of Christ, but he's also talking about discerning what it is that we are receiving, this one bread, this uh, body and blood of Christ, because we need to have the Holy Spirit fall upon us. And so there is, in our reception of communion, that means we are living the Christ-like life. We are the broken body. We are the spilt blood. I don't mean that we cause the chaos and fractures in the church, but I mean we are crucifying ourselves. That is how the Holy Spirit falls upon us, is that we live like him and act like him, and that's how we receive worthily of communion. This is why after the consecration of the gifts, uh, the priest says that they may be to those the, the gifts may be for those who partake for the purification of soul for the remission of sins for the communion of the Holy Spirit for the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven for boldness towards thee what is that boldness towards thee where does that come from where else do we say boldness towards thee yes good Bible little liturgically it's very it's in that same vein with love and faith Yes, because we boldly say, like, our Father, right? That without shame, that we with boldness can say to God that we have access to Him, and not for judgment or condemnation. I, I really think, because we grew up, most of us, if not in the church, then around churchy stuff, even if we don't realize it, we all just kind of like, yeah, we got access to God. I'm like, no, we did not. <laughs> 
not until Jesus, like not in the way that the Jews had access before Jesus, and then in Jesus we have access to God the Father. So this is all then that the whole the liturgy, as I was talking about with iconography, etc., is never done on our own. This is always done in the throne room of God, which, if we are familiar with the Old Testament prophecies and visions, and the same with the book of Revelation, this is why the reasonable worship that we offer is going to be for those who have gone before us, the ancestors, fathers, patriarchs, prophets, apostles, etc., because everybody's there in the throne room with us. And that is why we especially remember the Theotokos, because she is the highest created, holiest created person in the world because she had Jesus, right? So that is why I remember her and then have the commemorations of all of the saints, those who have fallen asleep in the Lord and those who are living as well. You don't hear all of this because these prayers are done silently. That is basically, that's kind of what I want to hit the divine liturgy. You're more than welcome to keep this. The, the rest of the things are kind of litanies, right? Where... It is always helpful to read the litanies, to be familiar with them. Uh, but the, the base, you know, the two main actions of the liturgy are the breaking of the word, the reading of scripture, the preparation for that, and then the calling down of the Holy Spirit, the prayers of consecration, and then our reception of Holy Communion. Is there any questions about liturgy? I guess I kind of have a question. So I think yeah. something that is difficult for me is that there is this kind of like constant suspension of disbelief in a sense so you're saying like we are in the throne room of heaven we are like this i guess it's a mystical belief i don't know exactly what you would call it but this kind of like invoking of a reality that is beyond that which can be perceived and i guess it just seems dangerous in a way like that people that that the i the idea that you're just supposed to believe it and you're supposed to invoke it and something like taking the Eucharist, I wonder like, does it actually change people to take the Eucharist? Does it not? And then you can say, oh, well, if you don't take it worthily, then you don't change. And then it comes back to this whole thing like, well, if it's not working and you're not changing, it's a you problem. And I'm, and I'm kind of wondering, is there some sort of like actual authority, like actual change that happens that is outside of, of, of our own, I don't know, ability to believe. You know, like, medicine heals you whether or not you believe in it. Placebo is real, but medicine will heal you whether or not you believe in it. Like, will participation in the Divine Liturgy and the Eucharist heal someone whether or not they believe it? Or is, does the metaphor just break down at that point? So, you're kind of asking the big question of faith in general, yeah. really. Because yeah. at the heart of it, even if you're Protestant or whatever you are, you are, you are talking about things that you can't because faith is the hope of things that you can't see. Right. Right. So, in a sense, uh, if you are looking for empirical realities, uh, the church has, and this is always the struggle of, of a veil where we struggle to be able to see clearly. And we have many stories from the lives of the saints and people uh, who have experiences and see things and know things that we don't all experience. And some of us also experience those things, don't experience those things and are still faithful, and there's growth. Uh, but it is not the medicine and mortality of these things. To use your medical analogy, there's many times that there's a lot of medical procedures and it doesn't do anything, they don't even know what's going on. <laughs> uh, 
And the one aspect that is missing from that is that it requires our, the whole aspect of the liturgy and reception of communion and faith requires our participation in a way that like if you had a broken bone and you didn't really believe it, I could, you know, we could knock you out and still do the procedure and it'd be fine. But faith doesn't work like that where there's something I'll say mechanical, even though I don't like you to use that for medicine on this, like a mechanical reality that you could do. But faith is, there's a lot more subtle tea to it than that. So uh, I've known of, I've heard all sorts of stories. I've seen weeping icons before in the middle of a liturgy. Uh, I have experienced in my own life ups and downs and the re- just the reality of my own struggle to be able to see God, it doesn't mean that I have incredible rapturous experiences but I don't I don't think that therefore I don't have faith or I haven't been vouchsafed to receive something I don't know what would happen if I actually received something like, would I be able to handle it? <laughs> I don't know Well, aren't, isn't one of the goals to become more and more holy to live a transformed life and as you go to confession and participate in the liturgies and study Right. The lives of the saints. Yes, I think she's she's quite. How how do you see that if you don't see it? Right. I mean, where is the evidence? Where where is? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily just like a question of evidence and like show me super something supernatural, but I guess it's just a question of like, what is the what is the real effect of a reality we say to we like profess to believe in. Specifically here, I'm, I was thinking of it in terms of, of the sacrament of the Eucharist and, like, how much of a difference does it actually make to someone to participate in that versus That's not. serious, because that's like the crux well, of the faith. Uh, you're, you're, you're actually taking the body and the blood of Christ mm-hmm. in, into you. He has he's established this, and, and Father, please stop me if, I, if I'm sort of getting heretical here, but... You know, he, he he wants a union with you so badly that 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 is that is uh, what what he wants. He wants to to um, to 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 be part of you, and, and, and this and this is how this can happen. Um, except that you, my flesh, and you get my blood. You have no life in you, and and I think it does have a real effect. I mean, in Orthodoxy, we we do things physically. We. We we don't just sprinkle somebody on the head as a token at baptism. We put you completely under the water. Um, we we uh, we we treat the body as a holy thing because we believe that these very bodies are going to be raised again to life at some at some point. Um, and so it, it, it really does guide who we are. And I, and I and I think if you if you walk with God long enough and enough years. Um, you you will see things. You you will experience things that that uh, that, that help us solidify the faith. Uh, I I hope that was. Yeah, I, I, I think the kind of que- you 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 ask these kind of questions. I appreciate them. Because <laughs> you ask kind of the nub of like of what it is to be a modern person, and we make a lot of claims. So how can you like you said dispens- uh, suspension of belief and uh, disbelief in a sense. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with how much our world, how materialist, how things that we are, that we don't really give credence. But if you were to go back in the ancient world, that was, everybody thought things were going on all the time. And so it's a quite, I think sometimes. But people also thought a lot of things that weren't true. 
And they think a lot of things that aren't true now. Right. But I think right. Well, I guess what I'm getting at with the dangerous thing is like you see it used in. So I guess what I see in orthodoxy that is different and what attracts me to it is that there is more of a sense of authority that comes from this history and this proven record of saints and all of this kind of stuff that kind of says that like this is trustworthy. But you know, I've been in other circles mm-hmm. where you're being told to believe something that you have no way of interacting with, and so you're taking it on faith, and you can believe all kinds of things, especially when like the reward is post-mortem, so people yes. will do, you know, yeah. there's no way a whole of life <laughs> that you can validate it, and uh, it just seems like a very dangerous psychological tool if misused, and I guess my hope is that within the Orthodox Church, because you have much more history and, and authority and things have kind of worked <coughs> out, like I feel kind of safe, I, I suppose, yeah. suspending my disbelief, and right. so, like, even if I don't believe it, at least I trust this isn't going to harm me. But I know there are instances where that has been hurtful in the past, where you kind of suspend your well, disbelief. I mean, or- orthodoxy has trouble. There's, there's trouble. There are definitely priests who abuse their power. There, I say power, their authority, right? Because there is authority that's vested in the priest. That is something that you have to be, in finding a confessor or a spiritual father... You, that doesn't mean that any old priest that you come across, you should be able to just pour your life out to them. That would be nice if that was the case, but I, I would not recommend that because you do need to, you, your discernment and your ability to be able to read things does not just go out the window just because somebody has a three-bar cross on. Uh, I mean, this is just in the New Testament, right? I mean, you have false teachers. You had folks who are going around who want money, who want authority. They want... And you can find it. There, there will be uh, orthodox monastics, and this can be a challenge in that context of kind of a charismaticism uh, of like, oh, there's authority and this holiness and all this, but they should be in jail. <laughs> Some go to jail. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to tell you things that aren't true just to be like, orthodoxy doesn't have any of the problems everybody else. Yes, we do. We have humans in it. We have people who hide things. We have people who, and this is why we have the church to be able to say like, all right, investigation time. That priest is suspended because there's been an accusation of sexual misconduct. Right? Like, the, and if you look at canon law, if you want to look at, like, I'll say legal, as it's, it's not legal in the sense of what we think is law, but, like, it is basically, like, the things that get uh, those who are ordained suspended are sex and money. Nepotism, too, or, like, a simony, like, selling offices. Because you're in the Middle Ages, it's a whole different thing, right? We don't have that kind of clout as they did back then, where monasteries would own acres and acres of land. Um, Just like in my business, mine includes guns also. <laughs> He's a federal prosecutor. That's so, I mean, the church has had to deal with these things, and it doesn't always do it correctly, but I, I think the reality is there is always a challenge, and there's always authorities and powers it's always a question of how to use it in the church or without. I mean, the nations, our, our, our government has the power to kill us. That's part of the deal, or at least the idea of the deal. Any other, Natalie, I think you had your hand up. Um, well, I just had a couple of thoughts. I suppose as well, because I remember when I was in the church, I remember when I was in the church, I remember when I Word and the boxing wrap, like that was still on my mind, taking the body and the blood of Christ, and then, um, 
knowing kind of like here at the church, it's I've kind of had the thought, and maybe it's just like a funny thought. Like, oh, what if someone can't have the fresh piece of the gluten free? Maybe they have an allergy or something. But I think that's just kind of like that misinformation of like not just having that belief, and that's the whole point of like for you of being able to choose Christ and be able to decide that like there are certain things even when it comes to science and medicine and um, I used to think like oh you know it's proven or something because you know the USDA approved it but then we go through um, like what that actually means of having that knowledge of whether that is actually like wisdom and you find like all these articles of coming about about medicine well, it's like there's a certain percentage it has to meet in order to approve something mm-hmm. to say that it's important, but it doesn't have to be a hundred percent. And then when you dive deeper into just like all these articles, it's like, it's like can you ever really prove something? And it's kind of like, no, you can't. There's a percentage of it that you can, yes. but even like talking to me and someone who does just straight research for most of this time, like you can never 100 percent guarantee it. Saying like this is likely to happen. But I think that even goes with faith. It's having that choice of being able to say that out of love, you're going to choose him. And it may not all make sense, but that's kind of like if you think about marriage or something about being able to commit and not you know, be tempered by, you know, um, like whatever is out there and being able to actually really commit yourself with all the sacraments and just choosing to believe. And I think that's something that you may never truly be able to prove whether it's right or whether it's wrong. But it's like even with the bread, it's like how it's made, it's created with love and, you know, just going that extra step of stepping into church when you don't feel like it or just like getting up in the morning when you don't feel like it. Um, that's a lot of love, and it's just kind of choosing that, I suppose. So well, yeah, there's, a, there's, a toxic, there's a toxic quest for certainty that, I mean, if you're a philosopher, you're going to blame Descartes. Uh, if you're in science, you're going to blame certain aspects of a misunderstanding of what science can do. Or, and the, really, everyone should just read Aristotle again, not to be like, but there's a certain form of certainty that we can have with certain things and other things. Certain, certain, certain. There's a certainty that you can have about certain things. Sorry, I don't know how else to say that. Uh, two plus two equals four, right? <laughs> the real conspiracy. Uh, numbers cannot be trusted. Uh, but once you re- like, our life has to be faith and trust. I mean, I like trust as kind of a better than faith because faith kind of has this intellectual content that's as fine but I think we trust and there are times where we're, there are things that we might get burnt a little bit on and so we have to become discerning. The fathers talk about the greatest gift is discernment the, the discerning of things uh, there are some people that you should trust there are people I mean there are certain books in here that I'd be like you probably shouldn't read that right now because it wouldn't be the best thing for you, right? It, or that's not really what you need. There needs to be discernment. Or that was... Uh, so there, there's always this need for a belief in what God's presence, God's faith and love 
not God's faith, but God's love towards us, our faith in him, uh, and being able to... You're going to believe in invisible realities no matter what. No, like there, there is some aspect where if you, you entrusting, you are kind of banking on the future of something. When you trust somebody else, you don't know that that freedom of a person, for all you know, in 10 years, they could be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But right now, you're in it to, you know, for marriage, and this is what it is. So you have to go with what comes and try to be as faithful as possible to what you actually experience and what is true to what you what you know. So, Father, if I could... Can we, can, we, can we not go any further? Because I have a lot more stuff to oh, cover. I'm sorry. I already used three-fourths of this no. class from last class. Uh, um, so part of what the, uh, the Hopko reading uh, was not on the Divine Liturgy this week, but it was about sources of theology in the Orthodox Church. Um, we, of course, Scripture is, if you want to say, the highest authority, right? It is where everything flows from. But we don't treat it like protestant churches or groups do our a vision of scripture and we'll go a little bit more into this i believe in the next time or two but that when we talk about theology in the church there are many sources of it or at least are reflected to us uh for example in icons what you have in icons i need to choose one now that i don't have as much time this is coming up the dormition of the theotokos in the icon, we have uh, presented to us uh, the Theotokos falling asleep, dying, uh, the apostles being gathered together for her, uh, and has anyone wondered what is going on in this icon? It's baby. Yeah, it's baby Theotokos wrapped <laughs> up, right? It's her soul. That is what it is supposed to be. Uh, I love that Jesus, who is in swaddling clothes, is now holding his mother, who's in swaddling clothes, and it looks exact. If you were to look at it, doesn't that look like the Theotokos of the child, right? Uh, the whole <coughs> hymnody of this feast uh, is about. Uh, so, censor. There's another one. I wish I had this one uh, because the story is uh, there was somebody who um, there's basically a Jew who did not like what was going on and the devotion to the mother of God and basically wanted to throw her uh, the palate or beer that she was on uh, and an angel appeared and cut off his hand so in some icons of the Dormition you can see this guy with like his arm and his hand is like as like grabbed on but his like it's been an angel there with a sword uh, can you imagine why where that story would come from the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant right so what we have in iconography uh, is of course, um, the event, but you will see in many icons theological points that are not, uh, or even reflection of hymns of the church that are uh, being reflected there. One, one for example, I, the nativity icon. I don't have it in here. I think, I think that the, of this batch, I think it's actually still at my house from Christmas. But <laughs> uh, you can see Joseph over in the corner on the nativity icon where he's, and there's this guy in this like hairy like shirt thing kind of like talking to him. It's doubt. It's Satan like uh, making him doubt. And this comes up in the hymnody. 
so you can see like different aspects of all the hymns of the of the church are being reflected in the icon itself. So the theology of the church is being reflected in the icon itself. Wow! All right, they're very excited about the icons. So, for example, like theophany, you, Jesus is obviously not a surfer. Right? It, it looks like he's surfing, right? He's on a cross, uh, trampling down some snakes, right? Uh, and you have uh, river gods, basically, of like uh, chaos, because all of the hymns and the scripture readings are all about, if you go through the Old Testament, all of these about the untamed waters and uh, God over creation. And uh, if you read the Psalms, right, it's always about drowning. <laughs> a, lot of the time, a lot of the metaphors. So you have God who, and you can see how if I had a, a resurrection, uh, he's down like in the earth, right? Just like in the nativity, he's in the darkness of a cave. He's now in the depths of the waters and he is basically conquering uh, the river gods, basically the false gods. This is also in the Psalms. Uh, and if you also hear this in the baptismal uh, uh, language from baptism about conquering the snakes or the serpents that are there. Again, language from the Psalms. Uh, you have then, of course, what is this axe doing over here? Judgment. From John the Baptist, right? Like the axe has come to the tree. Uh, and then you have angels who are present because, of course, there's always angels going around with Jesus. Uh, you see, of course, then the descent of the Holy Spirit. You see all of these different aspects and so one of the big differences that you'll notice in the Orthodox Church versus, say, I'll just use the Roman Catholic Church because it's the easiest Western iteration because not many other churches actually do, I'll say, decoration, art, and use art. We really do actually use icons, right? Uh, we don't just have nice pictures up on the wall. Uh, when there was a translate, my understanding of the translation of the Seventh Ecumenical Council and part of the reception in the West... Uh, which they struggled a little bit because they thought the Greeks and the Greek were actually worshiping icons as opposed to the Greeks just saying, no, we give proper worship to God and then we venerate icons. Uh, they, the, and when it got translated in Latin, they used the same word for both. So the Latin church was a little like, uh, guys, <laughs> a little too far. Uh, but the reality in the Western churches, they said, we paint things so for the illiterate. That was the common explanation. And the Greek church, it was that there's there theological things. So when we come to, when we in here uh, at the beginning of August, we'll have the transfiguration of Christ. Uh, the icon will be put out. We will stand before the icon uh, sensing. It, we interact with the icon through veneration. We learn because it teaches us. Uh, I think there's a bunch of wax on this. Is what the, uh, the icon... Uh, is something that is not just like a nice picture, uh, but it is something that is actually captures the theological themes of the feast uh, and is didactic and we interact and we venerate the realities that are there in the icon. So we have icons that are just of people, right? Like, uh, or sort of St. Nicholas or of something like the Annunciation, of course, uh, the Theotokos and Child, and there's many I various icons of uh, the Mother of God and Jesus, and they have different aspects or kind of different. Um, for example, there's an icon of the protecting veil of the Theotokos, which is her appearance uh, to Saint Romanos, uh, basically keeping Constantinople safe uh, during a, an attack. 
so that it's commemorated on the, uh, there's an icon of it, there's a commemoration of it in liturgical year. Kind of like there's, if you go through the Old Testament, there are memories of various things uh, that Israel had to go through. Well, we have icons of the parables and the miracles, and yes, something the, the, really speaks to your heart, and you can get that. Some of some of them are not typically put out. Uh, not during the church service, right? Because there's not a feast day for those, but they are up on uh, up on in the church, or you could have them in your home as well. Uh, the hymnody. I'll just hit this really quickly. This is um, this is one of the books. There's a lot. There's a whole. It's too much information, and you're not ready to go through, and nor do you need to know all of the information about all the moving parts and where all the hymns come from. This is an exception, though. This is the Festal Manan. This is, has, for most of the great feasts of the church, the 12 feasts, uh, has all of the hymns for it. So if you're wondering about like, the Dormition of the Theotokos or um, the Annunciation and the hymns, they're all in the Festal Manan. This is something that you can buy. You can also go on, if you Google, and you know how to Google, you should be able to find this as well. Uh, so that if you're wondering, the church teaches through our community. It's not just kind of come together and like, woo, but it's content too. Yeah, of course. Is there any questions about... I have about a question about the icons. When I converted to the Orthodox Church, they, um, whenever you buy a new icon for your home, they, you could put it behind the... What is it? I always pronounce it wrong. For either a period of 40 days or a period of one during one service, do you all do that? There's all sorts of different practices, and I honor various forms of them. When people get new icons, I will typically bring them to the altar for like a weekend cycle of services and then give them back. This is a debate in the church, honestly. There are, in the Greek church, there are those who would say, you don't need to bless icons because once they've been finished, they're blessed because of what they are. There are others, uh, the Russian church, they have a whole service where you like sprinkle holy water and stuff on them. And it could be like a 10 minute service if you did the whole thing. I've never done the full 10 minute service. Uh, well, I know my sponsor was the daughter of the priest at the Greek church. And she got me a, she, she bought me an icon of St. Catherine of Alexandra and put it up, put it behind the, <coughs> the um, and it costs, I, I don't know why I have such a hard time with that word, I kind of says, for 40 days before she gave it to me, and that's just the thought of that, mm -hmm. just deepens the meaning, it may, you know, I mean, it just deepens the meaning, knowing that her heart was in that, for my sponsor to do mm -hmm. that, I don't know, I just, to me, when something becomes sacred and more meaningful, it builds your faith. Mm -hmm. It's like you're not, you don't take it lightly. You take, there's more reverence and care and love for her to do that. It just, it just meant the world to me. And I just, I really love that when I bring an icon into my home, I'd like to have something, whatever the priest thinks is mm -hmm. properly. But yeah, that just, really means a lot to somebody to, because I have it in my room, you know, and it just really speaks to you. So icons are precious to me. Can icons be cleaned? Mm -hmm. There are certain ways to clean them. And it all depends on the kind of icon that you're talking about. I'm gonna. I need to get a case for St. Anne's because folks are wearing lipstick. <laughs> My wife and I want to start working on our icon corner. Mm -hmm. We're wondering: is there any 
uh, La Recommended Store. Yeah, email me and I can send you some links. There's some ones I would say do not buy from. Okay. There's one that's a synchronistic, like, crazy, like, monastery that's not a monastery. You don't have the name of it off so we can avoid it? Of the it's called Monastery Icons. That's one I'd stay they're away from. They're affordable. They are affordable because they're heretical. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like, they do like icons of like Vishnu and stuff. Yeah, an icon of the Buddha or something like that. It's, it's just not. They're, they're not, it's not an actual monastery. They make you think that it is, but they'll they'll do whatever you want. Sometimes the price is right. from like certain monasteries, yeah. and it's really nice. Like, they'll show like, them making them. Also, if you want, when I say real, I, I don't, like, these are. These are real, but it's it's just laminate, right? It's just a somebody. It's, it's fine, but like Saint Anne, that's hand done. If you want a hand done, then you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. Yeah. Or unless you order from like Ukraine or something, yeah, you can still order from Ukraine. Yeah, just the western part. So would you say not to? Oh, oh, an icon that's not uh, uh, legit, you know, like. You mean as in for monetary icons? Yes. I would burn that stuff. Okay. Uh, other things, I mean, it's fine. What okay. stuff would you burn? Monastery icon. It's a particular maker that's just... A monastery icon. You can kind of tell if you... That doesn't mean like a monastery icon. It's called monastery icons, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a company called monastery icons. <laughs> So, I mean, burning the stuff is all either for bad stuff or for holy stuff. I mean, uh, if I was to spill communion all over my, you know, vestments, I would burn my vestments. Like the flag, kind of like you know, the yeah, flag, uh, the yeah. flag, reverence, mm -hmm. respect. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Good question. Do I need, like, if, if I ever wanted to start a, an icon business, like, do I have to ask permission for that? Because there is this very interesting business model in Colombia where they they print an HD image and they stick it to a piece of wood and then they, they cover it with a uh, resina. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. is it well, I mean, that, every, there's a bunch of people who do this, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. At least here. Okay. No, you're welcome to do that. If you were to become an iconographer who is going to start doing churches and things, then you'd want to seek out a blessing for something like that, to have your spiritual life in order. You always want to have your spiritual life in order, but when you are like going to fresco a church for the next few generations, you, you need to have your spiritual life in order. And I can tell you from folks who do that, they, they will tell you, you need your spiritual life in order because you're going to go crazy doing it unless you have your spiritual life in order. Demetrius and Leonard, they brought somebody from Greece to, to paint their... Um, oh yeah, you bring guys yeah, guys and gals up from Belarusia, Ukraine, mm -hmm. not so much Russia right now, but <laughs> uh, other places. Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word from mine eyes, I see the salvation which thou shalt prepare before the face of all people, a light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, next.